0: And let's start off with a word from our sponsor, BetOnline.ag. BetOnline, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. The NBA is in full swing and college basketball heats up as the schools make their way to the NCAA tournament. The tournament is coming and so is the $100,000 Bracket Madness Challenge as BetOnline is the spot for all of your bracketology needs. Personally, I would put my money on Gonzaga or Baylor against the field. One of those two teams I don't think you can go wrong with. But BetOnline has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website, betonline.ag, or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% off welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Welcome into this week's Believe in Wizards podcast. As always, please rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff really helps us out, so we can keep bringing you good podcasts, good guests, all that good stuff. Larry, I figured we'd lead today's show off by just talking about the trade. I think for anybody that hasn't heard this, uh, you know, several days later, the Wizards traded Troy Brown Jr. and Moe Wagner to the Chicago Bulls. They got back Daniel Gafford and Chandler Hutchinson in return. Wagner actually got redirected to Boston after that. But uh, in terms of the Wizards, you know, we, we'd Gafford is probably the big piece in that trade. I just want to get your sense on that, Larry, and, and just sort of the first question for fans is, did the Wizards get better during this trade?
1: Um, I'm not sure if they got better. I think it was a move that gave them um, some more defensive presence. Uh, it gave them some more length. Mm-hmm. And I think that these, again, are, are pieces that you're trying to put together to to prepare yourself for the next season. Because mm-hmm. the way things are looking, it's going to be tough to, make any sort of run so I think that these are pieces that you can get a look at through the end of the season and obviously get them into your training program and see you know how they fit into next year but I think that I'm looking at how these things fit into next year as opposed to this sort of trade making them any better than they you know than they were I mean you know any much more than 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 the, what they already were
0: mm-hmm. yeah I don't think there's a major needle you know needle mover here for the season like you said but it might just sort of be a better fit. Like obviously we talked about how much we liked Mo on this show. And and I still think Troy, uh, you know, Troy was sort of misused during his time here, maybe, or not given the right opportunity to succeed, but Gafford just sort of makes sense. You know, lob threat, like we talked about them needing can be a physical presence, really good athlete shot blocker. I looked into some of the advanced numbers and he's a surprisingly poor defensive rebounder, which I don't think the wizards can afford to have too many more of, but I don't know. I would imagine that's something you can work on. If somebody's that athletic, that's probably positioning and, mm-hmm. and, you know, some nuancey stuff here that hopefully your coaches can can help him develop that.
1: Yeah. And I mean, it could be your system. I mean, all the, all those things that go into the numbers. I mean, if you're, you know, constantly going to block every shot you can find, and that's, you know, that's going to take you away from the boards. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously those will be things that he will have to watch and, you know, stats are what stats are. You kind of take them for what they are because sometimes they don't travel. Mm -hmm. Uh, to the different programs
0: yeah that's a great call Uh, and then the other piece of this Chandler Hutchinson might be sort of less familiar to folks like I really enjoyed like draft process stuff so I watched a good amount of Boise State his last year in college because he was sort of a, a late riser that people talked about and he did everything for his college team like initiated offense did all the scoring locked down the other team's you know best perimeter player really good athlete has not been able to make shots in the NBA so far, though. I think he's like around like a 30% uh, shooter from the field and like even lower from the three-point line this season. So have you seen any of Chandler Hutchinson in the NBA, Larry? I can't say honestly that, that I've I've caught many of his NBA minutes.
1: I have not, but, but like you, I did catch some of that draft process of just seeing his name. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I definitely remember the name and, and the school that he went to. And I haven't seen him be, you know, productive in the NBA, so he hasn't hit any of my, uh, any of my boards. But I think it's, it's um, again, like we said, it's, it's pieces, right? I mean, it, it's pieces to have, you know, length and have wing guys and have, you know, an opportunity to, to do different things on the offensive end and on the defensive end as well. And, again, you, you get a fresh start. You get a chance to get into a different system where you're going to get opportunities from different parts of the floor. And But it's a must that you make shots in the NBA or or you really won't be around uh, for for a very long time. So those are things you have to look at to make sure that he is uh, getting better uh, and obviously can help you uh, moving forward.
0: He hadn't been playing for Chicago due to, quote, personal reasons. I don't know what that is. I imagine in a year like this, maybe it's COVID related or something. But I I haven't heard an update yet on what his status will be in the short term for the Wizards. So we'll keep folks... uh, in the loop on that one. But the only thing that I thought of during this trade was Tommy Shepard's quotes in the offseason about trying to get more athletic at multiple positions and no knock on, on Mo or Troy, but I think both of these guys are, are just better athletes, whether that translates into anything or not, at least, I don't know. He's kind of circling back around on, on that promise.
1: Well, again, it has to be a plan. Mm-hmm. Right, there, there has to be a strategy. There can be a mix of athletic guys and, you know, not athletic guys. I mean, a couple guys like Luca. you know, the, those yeah. guys wouldn't hurt. I mean, he's yeah. not athletic, but he, he yeah. gets get the job done. Yeah. So I think it's just a part of, like, the strategy, man. Just to have athletes in the NBA is not, it's not good enough. I mean, that's mm-hmm. just not, that's not the formula for success. I think those guys have to be smart. They have to be aggressive. Uh, and they also have to be team players that understand those concepts to use their athletic ability. And you know that's the most important part is is the strategy behind the players that you're bringing in, and then what you're asking them to do. It's tough to ask the player to go be athletic in the NBA. You know, it's it's not that's not a good recipe for success right there. So just figuring out how the pieces fit within the team scheme, and you know, obviously having athletes is is you know definitely a part of the game.
0: Walk us through, Larry, how hard it is to get traded midseason. I think everybody, you know, can understand like the on court stuff is tough too just figuring out new guys where to be you know you're kind of learning on the fly but can you talk a little bit about like the off court stuff for folks too like now you've got to move if you have a family you got to figure out what you do with them you've got to do multiple physicals you know you're you're taken off the team bus sometimes to get rerouted to a new place i don't think people get what that kind of piece of it's like
1: well, well, I think all of that basketball stuff is is part of the you know, it's part of the process of mm-hmm. you know not going to shoot around because there's things that are working you know in the back channels or like you said, being pulled off the bus because things happen, you know last minute. I think we understand, you know as players, we will understand as players that there's an opportunity that that you could be moved. there's a chance that you could be moved. and then we also understand that like it's a league. Mm-hmm. So within that league, players move around, different situations, there's different philosophies, there's different ways that different teams do things. So, but you're still in that league. So that league is like picking from each team to figure out if this team has a player that could fit better in our system. We we still are working in that league. So you still have comfort for being in the league. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think what's what's hidden behind that and and may not be so hidden is, is your family responsibilities. And that's the toughest part. Because as professionals, we could deal with anything, broken hands, you know, all the things that go along with just being, you know, in the environment. But your family is very important and making sure that they are comfortable, making sure that they are aware, uh, making sure that they can get all of their needs met because you're going out to do something that you, that you love. And a lot of times our families are the ones that are back home in the cities or, you know, going into the school systems or, you know, sometimes even finding little you know, job opportunities that, you know, they love to do. And it all depends on what sort of environment that you're in. So being traded midseason is really like, okay, my focus is, I know once I get there, I can do my job. It's really on how's my family going to react? You know, how are my kids going to take this? I mean, they may have met, you know, friends on the team or buddies on the team or wives met different So that's the most important, you know, the, the piece that I look at the most to say how, you know, the transition will go is how comfortable can, you know, those players, you know, make their families because it is, it is definitely a change for the family members.
0: And now a quick break from the show to talk to you about our newest sponsor, eBay, whether rare dead stock or the latest release, find the exact shoe you've been looking for. As the original sneaker marketplace, eBay is the place to go to cop that pair you've been eyeing. With eBay's authenticity guarantee, your sneakers are meticulously inspected by independent professional authenticators. A team of experienced sneaker authenticators verify the box, logo, stitching, and dozens of other inspection points. Each sneaker also receives an authenticity guarantee tag that includes a digital stamp of authenticity. And it also protects sellers with a verified return process. And for sneaker sellers out there, eBay has eliminated selling fees on sneakers over $100, making it free to sell or flip your collection. So go to ebay.com sneakers today. eBay. The world's best destination for discovering great value and unique selection. Here's something you don't know about me. I don't sleep well, but I'm really good at staying awake and staring at my ceiling. So I'm always looking for new ways to get my shit together. My head hits the pillow and bam, my mind races to what I didn't do, what I need to do, yada yada. Relatable? Yeah, it sucks. Fortunately, I found Sunday Scaries and realized they make products specifically for overthinkers and night owls like me. Sunday Scaries CBD gummies help me decompress, clear my head, and fall asleep so I can actually wake up a fully functioning human being. And there's no risk to try. The company offers a 100% lifetime money back guarantee. If the product's not for you, that's okay. You'll get your money back. Sunday Scaries, in the stress relieving business, not the stress causing business. And I got you 25% off to prove it. Visit sundayscaries.com and use my promo code WIZARDS for your discount. That's promo code WIZARDS for 25% off at sundayscaries.com. They're effing amazing, and you won't regret joining their squad. I remember Darren Williams telling a story when he was getting traded out of Utah to go to Brooklyn about how they were playing in Dallas that day. He was on the training table getting ready for shoot-around, and... He had like 30, 40 people coming to the game. He had to buy them all tickets. And they were like on second thought there and don't get on the bus and, and traded them. And he said, he didn't even find out um, from the team. He saw it go across the ticker on sports center, you know, like while being taped any, any crazy ones like that you can remember. Did you have any bad experiences of your own?
1: Yes and no. Yes, yes and no. So uh, I've never been in a situation where you know, I was completely blindsided. Where you know, I was playing well, the team was playing well, and the deadline was coming up, and they just felt that there had to be a move that was made, and I was kind of included in that deal. Mm-hmm. That, that that wasn't the case for me. Even though I was traded three times, I believe. Um, it was always a situation where I, I was trying to figure out where I best fit. Right, something went on. I wasn't. I'm huge on character, so if something goes on and I think is just completely just out of whack, then it's probably time for me to to go to a different situation in the league. But um, my first couple of years in, in Philadelphia, I mean, me and Larry Brown, we were, you know, butt heads. I mean, we were, you know, going back and forth. Uh, I probably had the most uh, player meetings, you know, as a, as a rookie, as a young guy, than then the history of the, of the NBA. Uh, just, I wasn't accomplished, right? I didn't have any, you know, right to sit and have so many meetings with, you know, Larry Brown and sure. uh, Billy King about playing time and all this other stuff. But I, it did. I mean, that, that stuff did happen. So when I was traded from, from Philadelphia to Golden State, I never heard from Larry Brown or Billy King.
0: At any point.
1: At any point. Wow. At, yeah, at, at any point. I mean, later on, I mean, obviously I've you know had conversations with Billy King and, and obviously I had a great relationship with Larry Brown, but I can remember like sitting in my condo in Philly, like, I just got traded, but normally don't. Somebody usually calls you, right? They let you know, like from the team, like to say, hey, we're going to move on. We're gonna, this is all the things that I've seen and kind of known to, to happen. Uh, but, but for me, my first time being traded, like I didn't hear from anybody. So now yeah. I hear stories about people see it on the ticker or, you know, people, you're not, obviously not hearing from people. And I really can relate to that process because the first time I was traded, man, I, it was just like, you got traded, you got moved, pack up, let's, let's, let's go.
0: Yeah, at least at that era, like maybe you had a chance of hearing it from your agent before it made TV. Now I feel like Woj knows before like the teams know and it's on Twitter already. Like I almost give the teams a little bit of a break now because I don't some of them don't seem to have a chance to to make the right move there. How about your teammates, like Alan and people like that? Did you hear from them before you heard from from probably anybody else?
1: Yeah, I mean they were sick. I mean, they I mean we you know, we were obviously just had just made it to the playoffs that year before we're kind of building and I was the you know the young guy coming in and me and Alan obviously had, had created this this really great relationship. And I think a lot of that, you know, a lot of that training and, and moving was because of not necessarily because of the relationship, but it was hard to it was gonna be hard to control both of us. Sure. Like it was gonna be hard to control both of us. We you know, I'm obviously not Allen Iverson, but we come from similar backgrounds and we had similar sort of attitudes and it was going to be, I think it was going to be really tough for Larry Brown to really get us under control because a lot of times he would coach me when he was actually coaching Allen. So it was kind of, he would get on me so he because he couldn't get on him. So that was a tough dynamic. But no, my teammates were great, man. And Matt Geiger, uh, Aaron McKee, I mean, these are all guys that, you know, I build relationships and talk to, uh, all, all the time when I, you know, when I see those guys now, but they were a little surprised that, that, you know, that the move was made, you know, that, you know, that soon.
0: Yeah. I remember thinking that at the time, like, didn't they just draft this guy? Like that's never really got that one. How hard is it like for these guys? I obviously know you didn't go through this scenario, but how much harder would it be going to a new team in a year where you also can't practice and they have so many games. So like, you know, Gafford and Hutchinson, I I promise you have not had like any real practice time with this team yet.
1: Well, I don't think they'll be the best version of themselves because you you don't get a chance to really push yourself to the limit, you know, really just work with your teammates, really to see each guy's breaking point, you know, to help guys, you know, get over the hump, Mm -hmm. you know, to, to encourage guys when they're, you know, when they're doing well or to help guys when they're struggling like these guys don't get a chance to do a lot of that. I mean, they're doing that stuff, you know, on the fly. And that really factors in, especially a, a new guy coming to the team, but just your overall, you know, team camaraderie and, and how you go out and operate. So new guys coming into a team that's struggling, and it's really a, a run to the to the finish line to figure out what our next steps are. It's going to be tough for those guys to be their full self of, of what they actually bring to the table. But I would like to just see effort, you know, and making mistakes that, Um, you know are due to not having the time with the the team in in that practice environment you know being late on an assignment and Mm -hmm. and throwing the ball out of bounds because you thought a guy was going to come to the ball and he actually went back door so those are the things that you you probably are going to see because they haven't had that chance to to get together. Uh,
0: In Gafford's first performance he he looked pretty good in the first six minutes he had 10 points on five of five shooting and already had three blocks he finished with 13 points five rebounds in 14 total minutes I think that kind of production they would love to see for for the rest of the year and next year
1: yeah man just coming in bringing that different energy you know coming in bringing that different energy uh being just on a different spot than those other guys that just left I mean you know they they played similar positions but they work from different spots on the court so just being a different energy I thought was, was really good uh, for those guys. And he, he has a mentality. He has a mentality that's about uh, you know, working hard and, and, you know, going, you know, as hard as he can and, and trying to win basketball games.
0: Yeah. His postgame quotes were, were pretty good. And I always sucker for stuff like that, but it was like, Hey, I'm excited for this. Cause like I didn't get an opportunity to show everything I could do in Chicago. Like this is a fresh start. Uh, for Brad or Russ, I told him just throw it up, you know, the lob up as high as they can get it. And trust me, I'll go get it. You know, like there's an air of confidence there, a little swagger. I, I think this team could use. And I think the toughness thing is big too. Like I, there was one position where he got a rebound on the right side of the hoop and like put a shoulder into a guy and went back up and then sort of like, you know, looked them down after like, I haven't seen that from too many wizards bigs this year. So it was kind of nice to just see him like be physical right out of the gate.
1: And that's it too. I mean, we got to remember, you know, Thomas Bryant also, mm-hmm. and just the, you know the the amount of energy that he brought to the table. Mm-hmm. Um, so you obviously, to, sometimes it's out of sight, out of mind. But you know, those are pieces that you can have, and you can you can start to to add to what you're doing. You know, you want those guys that are not going to back down. You want those guys that are going to create their own energy, especially with no fans in the building, uh, limited fans in the building. So we, we got some action coming now. So. But you need those guys that create that energy and, and looking guys down and you know me mugging. Yeah. Even though the league, you know, may 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 you know give you one, you know, that's that's part of the game.
0: Yeah, I think as a team, it's like I don't know if they can do this, but like you'd almost volunteer to pay that fine for a guy for something like that because you, you just you'd rather have that than the alternative.
1: For sure. Oh, it gets done. Uh, you know, those, those guys coming, I got that fine. Don't, don't worry <laughs> I like
0: about that. At least okay. the vets should hook you up or something. Um. Yeah, I think what you said about uh, sort of this being a move for next year makes makes a lot of sense. And just right off the bat, I think he seems like a very good complement to the way Thomas Bryant played, you know, seems to play or has played thus far. And maybe he can be sort of that lob threat, you know, rim protector type. And and if you're going to go match up or platoon them, I think that makes more sense than than Wagner, who is a little more of the same skill set as as TB.
1: Well, I think it helps you, you know, not rush uh, Thomas, you know, back yeah. too soon as well. I mean, it, it gives you, you know, an active body, live body that plays that similar sort of energy style. Uh, obviously Thomas can, can shoot the ball from the perimeter, you know, better, but that's something that mm-hmm. I don't even think we know if, if Gaffer can shoot the ball from, exactly. from distance. But I think that that helps you with your process with Thomas as well, because you do have a comparable guy right there to, to hold the fort down a little bit.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I always remember this Charles Barkley rant about it. Was, he was talking about Nene at the time and how when you're seven feet tall, like seven rebounds a game should just fall into your lap if you're playing reasonable minutes. I, it was either seven or eight, or, you know, it was some, some reasonable number of minutes. And I, I just, that pops into my head sometimes. Uh, like, so last night's game against the Pistons, Len and Lopez combined for five rebounds in 47 total minutes of play. And Gafford had five minutes or five rebounds in 14 minutes. Now, obviously Westbrook had almost 20 rebounds last night. So he's eaten up a lot of those, but just that right off the bat, seeing Gafford come in and be like, nah, you're not taking my rebound. Like I am going to get this. It was an encouraging sign. I thought.
1: Yeah. I think, and again, that's, you know, the rebound situation. And, and, you know, when Charles and we were playing, you know, shots were coming, coming closer to the basket. I mean, the big guys were in better position to rebound the basketball. I mean, it's just a different game. I mean, you got a lot of guards to get in there and get, you know, three, four, five rebounds. And that's obviously going to take away from the, the, the total that you want your big guys to get. And, again, if you're talking about the philosophy of the game that we're playing today, if the guard can get the ball in his hands, you can play even faster. So, you know, a lot of these big guys are, you know, not being as aggressive, you know, going to get rebounds because of that factor of, Guards being active, long three-point shots coming out to free throw line. Mm-hmm. So I think all of those things play a factor. I'm not making an excuse for any of those guys, but just understanding, you know, how the game is played. And obviously Charles, you know, played in a, a time a little bit before me. I mean, you think that that is – that's completely the case. I mean, you know, guys are coming in for layup. I mean, the, the ball was bouncing right in front of the rim, a num- you know, numerous times for, for those big guys to get those rebounds. But now it is a little bit different. Mm-hmm. but you don't want the big guy making that excuse, like right? he still he still can be paid to rebound the basketball. So <laughs> right. those are things that you still should expect uh, from your guy that, that's rebounding the ball, especially you know thinking of another team if you don't have a Russ, right? I mean, if you have a Russ, I meaning he's gonna take these four year rebounds, and he's gonna just <laughs> <Right>. he's <laughs> he's gonna take four year rebounds, and you're gonna look at him crazy, you know, going down the court. But that's the style of play that that makes the most sense in in today's game. So. that's kind of how I look at the the big guys rebounding now Uh, I would want them to get more offensive rebounds uh, than they've been doing in the past versus more defensive rebounds than they've been doing in the past
0: yeah I like that I think that's a great point you know like Larry growing up and playing like lower level basketball and stuff like you know you always heard like follow your shot and things like that but can you talk folks through like in the NBA like you're almost instructed like not as a guard to not follow your shot because they want you back uh, in transition. Is, is that fair?
1: Yeah, I mean, that, that's fair. I mean, when you are, you know, again, and that's part of, we talked about early on and, and the Wizards taking, you know, bad shots and just killing their their transition defense because of, of taking bad shots. So that's why it's really important to take good shots, right? I mean, if you take good shots and you have better floor balance and and your ability to maybe take a step in to have the ability to rebound your shot It's one thing, but if you're just running around, I mean, you're you're right. I mean, shoot the ball and get back, stop, you know, the transition ball. And that's how the game, you know, that's, again, that's how the game is played. It's it's a fast-paced game, and if you have, you know, multiple guys going in to rebound, guys are too skilled. They're throwing that ball over top, and they're going in, and they're not shooting layups, they're shooting threes. Sometimes
0: I wonder about that with someone like the older school coaches, if it's hard for them to, like – totally adapt from it being like different than the way they played. Um, I don't have any specific examples, but, you know, when you're trained to do something a certain way for 40 years and now like people, the style of play is so different. I I got to imagine that that's probably a steep learning curve for them. Just switching gears here a little bit. uh, Troy Brown apparently looked very good in his debut for the Chicago Bulls. Uh, They played him a lot at the point guard position, which, Always seemed to make some sense here, but the Wizards somehow started the year playing him at backup power forward, if you can figure that one out. Um, But yeah, Troy said he expected to be a backup point guard for Washington this year and then found himself getting power forward minutes and then benched and didn't really know why. And that was sort of all he said about like his Washington experience. Like, I think that points to what we saw for the first month of this season. It's just like guys having, you know, it's another data point that guys just didn't know their roles or didn't understand them.
1: Yeah, I mean, and, and that's that's bad. I mean, that that you know, you, you have a season to to prepare for. You, you know what you have going in, and there's a strategy that you have to put in place in order to to deviate and, and change your thought process. And there has to be a number of games and a number of opportunities to show uh, that that strategy is just not going to work. So then you move uh, to a different sort of process. And I don't think they gave Troy, you know, his time to you know to, to develop and see you know, where he kind of fit in in, in this league and then mm-hmm. signing him to his his extension or is on his deal, giving him an extra year. Like you probably just confused the hell out of him because <laughs> you just figured that you guys were, you know, investing in him. Mm-hmm. So he would get the opportunity that that he thought that he would have. And probably you guys talked about uh, in the offseason or during his exit meeting uh, the year before. So that's a confusing way to play basketball and and anytime you get into a situation where they can use you, um, you know, and and you can be the most effective. It's just like having a a brand new toy right now Mm -hmm. Chicago, they have a brand new toy, uh, no baggage with it. They want to see, you know, how things work. We can, you know, use it, use him as a backup point guard and see how his size can affect the game, you know, as the game goes on and see if there's an ability to have him on the floor with, the other point guard you know and have him have the ability to play you know multiple positions but i think what he said is he's they talked about him being a backup point guard and that was his focus and that was his mindset when he entered the game and he saw it early of mm-hmm. him trying to facilitate more than be aggressive and get downhill so i would think that that's what they talked about and it didn't happen uh because of all the things that that we've mentioned before
0: They did it for two games in the bubble and it didn't go particularly well. Like he had a bunch of turnovers and looked sort of, you know, out of sorts. And I don't know if that spooked them or, you know, like maybe, maybe they bailed on the experiment earlier or whatever, but I think him next to Kobe white makes a lot of sense. Kobe white sort of more of a a shooting guard in a point guards body and and Troy can be a bigger facilitator at, I think that that move looked out, you know, worked out pretty well for Chicago.
1: Yeah, I, I think I think so too. I just think that the volume of you know the, the players that are on the Chicago team is different
0: mm-hmm. than
1: the, the the volume of which the Washington players take up the basketball and making the plays. Yeah. So he should have have an opportunity to make those plays uh, with with more opportunity.
0: It makes a lot of sense. Um, I I was kind of avoiding talking about this because I was very angry earlier in the week watching both of those Knicks games. Uh, two tough losses for for totally different reasons. The first Knicks game uh, just sort of wasn't all that close for, for most of it. And the second Knicks game, uh, they should have won, uh, in my opinion, and, and then sort of fell off late. You know, the lone bright spot I'm trying to take away from from this stretch has been the player Rui Hachimura, 19 points and nine rebounds on 55% shooting over his last seven. He's like 14 and five and a half on the year. So uh, that's been really good to see. Against Detroit, he had a monster dunk and sort of yelled in the dude's face like, I've always thought like, you know, Rui's just kind of like too nice to be super aggressive. And now you're starting to see like a, a little more edge there. I don't know if that's, uh, you know, the guys he's playing with are encouraging him to be, you know, a, a little more uh, aggressive and stuff. But you were on it early, Larry. This could be a 20 and 10 kind of guy. And and that's what they've had for the last, you know, couple of weeks. And, and it's made a difference for them, even though they're not winning games right now.
1: Yeah, well, I think that that's where Rui has to be. I mean, I I think that that's his lane, you know, for this team is to, you know, be in that, you know, 15 to 20-point average, you know, and obviously, you know, grow that, you know, you're growing that 14-and-a-half average, but to get that up into, you know, into the 20-point average for an entire season, I think that that's going to make the Wizards a a, a very good team to contend with on the offensive side of the ball. And I think if he's playing, you know, better offense, he's going to play, you know, better defense as well. I mean, with a guy that size, I think he can unlock both sides of the court um, just with, you know, just with the motivation that he's getting from his teammates, just the, the push that he's getting from his teammates. I've seen, you know, Brad pass him the ball and he go for a layup and Brad look at him like, what, what was that? Like, huh. like dunk the ball, you know, go more aggressively to the basket. I, I've seen that happen. So I think I would, you know, would point to, you know, Russ and but and we talked about Westbrook. I mean, he's going to up the intensity where, wherever he goes. And, you know, credit those guys for, for really pushing Rui to, you know, make that jump, you know, and make that jump with those two guys playing at a high level. You get one more guy in there, you know, one and a half guys, and then you have a chance to win a basketball game every night. Right now you you kind of go, you don't necessarily, you know, as a fan I'm looking, I'm saying, you know, we don't really have a chance to win tonight. I mean, as a player you're going to have a different mindset. You're always going to go in thinking you have a chance to win. But when I'm looking, you know, just to, at the product, it's, it's gonna be really tough to get a win. But I think with one and a half guys, you know, added to Rui, Westbrook, and, and Brad, you know, whether it's Bertons or whether it's uh, Denny, I mean, those guys got to get together and figure out, get the production up.
0: Yeah, I haven't been huge on the, like, give them too many breaks and cut, you know, cut them a break on stuff here for the way this year's played out. But to be fair, if you had Bryant and you had the, the Bertons you expected to have from last year, now, plus you've added a Gafford. Maybe you go out and get another wing. Like, it is definitely a different team. And you know, when you're now your six, seven, eight guys are better than the guys they have now. I think, well, to your point, it just that makes life a lot easier, especially on the starters. They don't have to play forty minutes to get you a win against the Knicks or lose a close game against the Knicks. So, I guess we'll see. Um, after that Knicks game, Bradley Beale said. You got to have heart. You can't teach that. You got to have dog. You can't teach that either. If you can't get yourself mentally ready to go, you shouldn't be in the league. I, I don't have the stats in front of me. I don't remember Bradley Beal playing particularly well in that game, so I'm, I'm not sure if he was talking somewhat about himself, if he was, if that's a message to teammates or whatever. I didn't love hearing those comments. It, it felt a little deflecty for a guy who hasn't been great post All Star break. Um, what did you think hearing that, Larry?
1: I'm, I'm like we from the same place, like put a name on it. I mean, right. put, put a, put a name on it. Like all of these comments about, you know, guys, dog this, and dog, like it, that's, that's okay for, for, for commentary. Right. But if it's somebody, you know, as a leader of the team, either don't make the comment publicly and, and have that conversation behind the scenes about what you feel guys should bring to the table or publicly put a name to it. I, I can't have it one way right I don't want you to throw somebody under the bus by putting a name to it I would much rather you have that conversation you know in the locker room behind closed doors but if we're going to make that comment like we deserve to yeah. to know who's not you know carrying their weight in the eyes of Brad Beal like mm-hmm. we we deserve to to have that understanding about you know when we're watching the game and we could start to identify of. Who's not going for a loose ball, or who's not being tough on the defensive end? Who's getting moved off of their spot on the offensive end? Like, we can start to see, you know, what you're talking about. But a blanket statement like, like those, like the, the couple that he's made over the last couple months, I have a little bit of problem with it because I'm all about, you know, accountability, and no one can be accountable if you, you never identify what the issue is and maybe he has and he doesn't want to do that publicly you know as far you as just to, don't say anything then. then then you can't say anything That that's exactly right
0: as a fan that shit is really frustrating to hear on a night you know I, again i don't i don't have the stat sheet handy but you go four of 17 or something and you're bradley beal like this applies to everybody if you have an off night shooting the ball go guard somebody like brad plays subpar defense and gets mostly a pass for it I mean, if you're going to talk about, like, being a dog out there, like, go get in someone. I mean, as a fan, like, if he did that and just had a rough shooting night, like, you get a total pass. Like, I get you're not going to make shots every night, especially when you're the focal point. But when's the last time you're like, holy shit, Brad, like, really strapped up on that guy and, like, got up in him? I haven't seen that much this year. I don't know if you have. but
1: Yeah, no, I think it's uh, – when you talk about defense, it's it's a total team effort. And if you're trying to get your guys motivated on the defensive side of the ball, Again, either we can't make that, that comment publicly and we have to go and we have to go back to the drawing board behind the scene and you can talk to, you know, whether you, you tell your guys, hey, man, I was terrible on, on on the defensive side of the ball or, you know, I couldn't make a shot. You know, I'm going to take accountability for me not being prepared to help this team win in the best way possible. If those are the conversations, then I'm good with it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But if they're not, then it's like, you, because you can't continue to throw Grown men, and
0: you're under, gonna lose them.
1: Yeah, you're gonna lose them because of the volume of which you play on the offensive end, and you obviously you can take any shot you want, you can make any play you want, you can try to do anything you want. You I mean you can be creative on the court, you can take chances, many chances as you want on the court. Those other guys don't get that opportunity, like they don't have that leeway to take as many chances or to experiment with things. So it's 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 better to have you know, if you're going to hold these guys accountable, it's better to make sure that they know exactly who you're talking about. Because when you, when you make that blanket statement and I hear the post game interview as a teammate, I'm kind of thinking, is he talking about me? And if I'm not who I am, I'm not going to ask him like, yo, know, who, who are you talking about? Right. But if I'm me, then I'm going right to him as a teammate to say, Hey buddy, you know, we're working hard. Like what, talk to me. What what do I need to do better? Or, or were you actually talking about me? So I think that those are the things that when you talk about a team that's just trying to figure out their identity, you can't have the subliminals, right? You can't have, you can't have those. Those don't work.
0: I was in the locker room for a game last year. I want to say it was a loss to Memphis and, and media scrum was around Brad. And he was like, look, guys aren't playing defense. We can't do this shit. That's all I got to say. And walked out of the room. And like Bert Hans like stepped over and was like, okay, here, you know, like, here's what I think, you know, we're all a little, like, tried to smooth some stuff over there, and you hear, you know, I've been as hard on Westbrook as probably anybody in the fan base, like, I just, I haven't enjoyed watching him play that much, to to be quite honest, like, the fourth quarter turnovers, you know, he's not particularly locked in on D, like, some of the shot selection is rough, like, but every post game, it's, this is what I did wrong today, I didn't guard my matchup. I was too sloppy with the ball. I have to make a higher percentage of shots. I have to hit free throws. Like that's what you want from your highest paid player. And and as a teammate, I think it's easier to be like, well, I should have done this also. If like Westbrook's owning the loss in a game where he did have 20, 10, and 10. You know, if, if I'm Alex Len, I gotta be like, shit, well, I, I probably should have boxed out a little better or or something. Whereas like the Brad thing, I think you just get defensive
1: no that that's that's right that's right I mean again this is a guy that's that's been in a couple of different organizations has obviously had the the opportunity to win you know at, at a high level so the perspective may be a little bit different from from his vantage point as to how to continue to motivate his guys and how to make sure that he's present in, a, in, in you know in a, on a team that you know he's going to be the focal point whether he's playing you know, lights out or or, or not because of just who he is. That's a way, you know, that I look at him, making sure that everything is inclusive, making sure that everyone uh, understands that that he's in, you know, in in the battle with them.
0: I guess because I'm in the mood to call out literally everybody related to the team at this point, the broadcast team was really pissing me off during the Pistons game too, Larry. Drew kept talking about what a disastrous season it was for Detroit. I'm like, Washington has three more wins than the Pistons. And, and at the same time, you and Justin Kutcher are now talking about uh, the playoff chase for the Wizards. It's like, what am I missing here? One team is a total dumpster fire and the other team that's barely better than them and, and almost blew a game against them is somehow like in the thick of a playoff chase. Like I get that they have to be homers to some extent, but like, I don't know. It it just, it's kind of disingenuous too to, 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 to straddle that line that way in my opinion.
1: No, I, I agree. I agree. And that, that's the, the corporate line, right? That's why I, I work for myself. Like, <laughs> there's no line that I have to, that I have to, you know, teeter. I don't have to go back and, you know, I don't I have to please anyone. And I think that that's part of, you know, that's part of that, that corporate space is to, you know, I, I heard that those guys got to talk. I've read something or kind of saw something posted that, that those guys may have gotten to talking to, uh, whether it be the broadcast team or, or maybe the, the post-game group. Just the stuff that was going on, um, just those guys really talking about what they see. So they may have gotten to talking to to kind of start to skew the, I look at it like Boston, right? Anytime you watch like the Boston game, you know, rest in peace, Tommy, but you you know what time it was. Yeah, you you knew what time it was watching that broadcast. So, you know, it, it is what it is
0: you know, there's a way you can sort of do that though. Like you can, you can be optimistic and paint everything in a more positive light, but still be fair about uh, the way you just did it, to be honest, is like, Hey, these are pieces for next year. Like not ruling out that they couldn't go on some magic run, but the main benefit of a Gafford move is, you know, we did this. You, Wes, uh, Wes Hall's on the, the halftime show talking about the new look wizards and how, you know, cause we're up 25 against Detroit at halftime. It's like, there's nothing different. We're playing the worst team in the league who does not want to win. Like as an organization, I, you know, the yeah. players want to win, but yeah. I don't know. It's just, it's just, that's the kind of shit that drives people nuts. I think.
1: There's a, a word that I like to use. It's perspective. Yeah.
0: It's, it,
1: it's, it's perspective. Like yeah. everybody's, you know, view of, of things. I mean, it, it's, it's perspective.
0: Yeah. We're, I would say we're probably skew a little more negative as a fan base anyway, so that you got to know the audience there a little bit too. Uh, Larry, just sort of switching gears totally here. I, I saw something come up the other day and I think it was an older uh, interview, but Gilbert was talking about how the first NBA, the first one-on-one game he ever played in the NBA was against you and you whooped him like 27, three or I, I forget what his exact, he said the exact number was, but, but like, it was his first opportunity to one-on-one with somebody after practice or whatever. And, and you just like took it to him and, he said that was a big lesson for him because like, you know, it was you like, you know, you were going at him and, and then you were in a defensive stance. And he said he just played, played scared. But, you know, over time doing that sort of taught him that, OK, I can hang with this dude. I, I can start to hang and it built some confidence for him. Do you remember uh, that or any of those that sort of, you know, growth from him?
1: Well, I, I think early on that was part of what we did. And I'm not sure if, if you know, if teams, how much they do this, you know, now. I haven't been in a, in a in a practice gym, obviously, in in a couple of years. But to play after practice is to work on things that you know that that you've been doing over the summer. Because when you get into team practice, it's it's about teams, it's about concepts, it's about you know making sure you're in the right spot for the team to go. But after practice, that's when you show like who you are and what you've been doing, and that's what you do every day. You're making your teammate better, they're making you better and you're going through that process of every day making each other better. So I looked at that as a way to make him better. He was a young guy coming in and when he first came in, Matt, I mean, he played basketball at Air Max like running shoes. Like he, and this was, this was who he is. He, he, ne- he never really took anything that serious, right? It was just really about what he wanted to do. So for me, it was like, we got together and we played one-on-one. Like I'm trying to, show you one like this is what it you know this is who I am this is what it takes to to play on the NBA level but again like I want you to make me better because you can't I mean a guy with playing against a guy with quick feet who's aggressive uh, who's fast it's only going to help me it's going to help me on the Mm -hmm. offensive end but it's also going to help me on the defensive end because now I have to guard his first step so in short I mean he was using it as to try to figure out if he could you know, play in the league, or if he can guard players in the league, if he can score on players in the league. And I was using it as a way to continue to to help me get better and to figure out what I needed to do, you know, to continue to move on. So he was trying to get in the door and I was figuring out how do I get better to continue moving forward. So that was our relationship. Like we played a few times after practice and then that ran into like, you know, two on two. After you take it from one on one, you got to play two on two unless a a fight will break out. (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, no, no, those were good. Those were fun times. And, you know, GA remembers that stuff because it helped him get on the floor and then it helped him, you know, start to, to, to make a living and make an earning for himself.
0: And that's something he's passing on to younger guys now too. And, that, and that's cool to hear. And hopefully that's something that, you know, guys on the wizards are taking. And, uh, you know, I, I would have loved to hear, I mean, again, this year is a weird year, but, you know, you hear Westbrook and uh, I don't know would have been like a Troy Brown or somebody were trying to go at each other in practice or, or some of those things that that would have been um, would have been a good story to be able to hear.
1: Man, that's that's how it goes, man, and that, that's how it goes. So it's it's not a soft lead, but it's really like a cater to like like I don't know if these guys are calling these guys out in a way that it's not like a fist fight or It's not necessarily confrontation. It's like okay, we're going to sharpen each other's skills. And I would, I love to see, you know, that with Denny and, and Brad, uh, Westbrook and Brad, like creating that culture, creating that environment of of things that you are, you know, you're trying to set the table for these guys and let them know how hard it is and, and what they need to do on a daily basis. I mean, that's, that stuff works. I mean, and that works the time spent after practice. Uh, it, it really works.
0: I mean, obviously, uh, This is a sensitive one for Wizards fans because his career didn't play out the way everybody wanted to. But, you know, you read stories about like Kwame catching MJ in the face with an elbow in a one-on-one game after practice and stuff like that. Like he was willing to go at MJ, which probably, I don't know, maybe didn't help him that much in the long run. But can you imagine hearing like Alex Len elbowed Westbrook in the face in a practice? Like it just, I don't know. It just, it's a very different vibe, I think.
1: Yeah, well, it's a different game. You know, it's a different game overall, and I guess, you know, some of that would, would make its way into the practice setting as well. But it's like the old guy, you know what I mean? Like, you know, the old guys. like, you guys got to play a little bit harder. You got to be a little bit more physical. And especially in situations where there's no referees,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know what I mean? That's when you, you know, that's us get after it, yeah. you know, no blood, no foul
0: if if you can if you can finish through contact imagine what you'll be able to do when you don't have contact it it seems to make sense but but what do we know um, yep. there's a video going around about uh Brian Scalabrini being in a gym i don't know if you've seen this um and uh some high school kids are sort of heckling him from the neighboring court and apparently they're reasonably well established or accomplished high school players but one of the kids calls out Scalabrini and he's just basically like i i would bust you you know like i just Shit talking to Scalabrini because he's Scalbrini and they play one on one and Scalbrini beats him like eleven zero, you know, like it's just a total total demolishing. And has become kind of a joke with the red mamba stuff. But like can you talk about just how good like the worst guy on an NBA bench is compared to even like, let's just say like a regular college player.
1: Yeah, yeah, man. It's like Barbershop Talk. It's like Barbershop Talk one on one. You know, you get into barbershop and all these guys that, you know, played in high school or you know, thought they were good enough to make it to college and, and you know, things didn't pan out. So they end up playing, you know, at the rec center and, you know, doing whatever they do. They always think that they can go at the person that's not playing in an NBA game, right? Mm-hmm. They look at that person on the bench and say, you know, I could take his spot or I can have his spot. But I'm always telling these guys, man, if you get these guys in a pickup game or you get them in a pro-am, they give you 40. Like, they'll, they'll give you 40. And no different with running into these guys in the rec center that were former players. Like, it's just different. Like the, the things and the movements and the starts and the stops. When you play against someone that's not used to the starts and the stops and they don't know angles, it's like, it's amateur hour, right? I mean, it's amateur hour. When you're professional, I mean, you are professional at what you do. Like you know things that the average person, they just don't know. So that that's your advantage. And I have these conversations all the time, man. I think we were just having a conversation a couple months ago. I think it was about Quinn Cook. Okay. Uh, Quinn Cook has some some buddies here uh, in St. Louis, and a couple of years ago, uh, he came in and, and played in, in our pro am. Like, and they were talking all of this smack about Quinn Cook. And, you know, he's on the bench, can't get off the you know can't get off the bench, and and I think he averaged thirty over a couple games, and then he he hung out one night and. It didn't end so, you know, they didn't have a good championship game. But that's a guy, like, you would look at Quinn and be like, man, whatever. Yeah. But if you get him in a Pro-Am game and he gets a chance to work his and angles and starts and stops, 40, easy.
0: A gym growing up next to me locally, Laron Prophet used to work kids out of all the time. And, and every once in a while, he would sneak into a game and, and sort of be at half speed. But he'd break something out every once in a while where everyone in the gym would just sort of, like, look around like, oh, oh okay, like, we we kind of forgot. Like so I don't know. I, I think Scal is an easy target because he's you know a little slower now, a little bigger, but uh, I think the thing from the video that caught me the most was just like the strength, you know, like it just yeah. you're you're a strong grown man. It's no high school yeah. kids keeping up with that. Anyway, that's pretty funny. I'm I'm looking for some Larry Hughes takes it to high school kid video to to pop up on online here.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm only going to like three though. No, I'm definitely <laughs> not going to eleven. <laughs>
0: <laughs> keep them to keep them to shooting drills or something right
1: yeah i'm definitely not going to 11 that's too long i
0: love it all right folks just to just to wrap us up here real quick the next uh next week's worth of games they play the pacers monday night hornets tuesday night the pistons again on thursday and the dallas mavericks on saturday you know the detroit game again you hope you win that one at a minimum but if they went one and three during that stretch like it, it wouldn't surprise me you know the hornets are spunky the pacers are are always going to play you tough and, and, you know, Dallas Luka can win you a game by himself if he needs to. So there's another one, Larry, where, like, you go one and three down a stretch like this, like, you got to start to have the talk about, like, all right, maybe these young guys need to get heavy minutes. Like, it's it just, if you're going to make a run at a playoff spot, even to try to get the 10 seed, like, you're running out of time to do that.
1: Yeah, I, I think, you know, we talked early on. We looked at the games in fives, We looked at the games, you know, In threes, we looked at the games, you know, one by one. And at the end of the day, it's just an accumulation of what the schedule is. I mean, just to to, to be honest with that, I mean, we try to break it down into, you know, game by game sort of situations. But we have to start looking at it in in these 10-game blocks. Obviously, you know, every game is important. And, you know, there's, you know, some back-to-backs that's included in that. But in order to make any sort of push over the next 10 games, I think that they have to go eight and two.
0: I mean, I think, at least, some, you know, one of those kind of runs.
1: Yeah, I think that they have to go, you know, 8-2-8. They have to flip these last 10 games that they've played because they play well, and they've given them chance, themselves a chance to win some basketball games. Um, and some of those games didn't go the way they wanted to. And it's a little bit different schedule. It may be a little bit tougher schedule. You know, boring injuries and things of, of guys sitting out, you don't necessarily know what you have night in and night out. But I think you, you have to flip. Your your ten game schedule to eight and two. You you can't go two and eight or like you said. I mean, it it really is time to to make sure that your guys are are prepared and healthy for the, the the next season coming up.
0: Yeah, and it's you know what if they don't win them they don't win them. Like that is what it is. You'd obviously like to see them win games, but we've done too much of like the hey this organization does not tank and we drop you know from the four spot in the lottery to the nine spot like at a certain point, swallow the pride and say, this is better for our franchise. We would love to have Evan, you know, Evan Mobley or Cade Cunningham or whoever next year. Like if you finish in the five spot, your chances of winning the lottery are drastically higher than if you finish 10th. So, you know, I, like, I get, you know, Brad and Russ are competitors and they make the playoffs and all this, but like, we got to play the long game at some point as a, as an organization, I would think. And, and, and you got to be able to have that talk with them Uh, otherwise if, you know, your Shepherd or Brooks or whoever, and you can't tell them like, hey, this is what we need to do to be better next year. Like who, who's running things at that point?
1: Yeah, I think you have to be, be mindful of that, right? I think you have to be mindful of that because what, what creeps in is frustration and injury. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, those are things that obviously you don't want to deal with as an organization staff is, you know, with your players being frustrated of, of how things are going. And then obviously as an organization trying to build you don't want to, you know, run into any sort of injury situation, which obviously can happen at any time. But um, those are the two things that I, you know, when I point to teams that are changing and I point to situations that you will want to, to see better, it's, you have to watch out for the frustration and, and obviously the, the injuries.
0: For sure. Uh, all right, folks. Well, that's, I think that's all we had for you. We'll see where we're at in another week of uh, wizards basketball. Hopefully uh, the the Gafford and Hutchinson trade makes a little impact and at least uh At least we enjoy the product on the floor. And just a reminder that today's episode was brought to you by betonline.ag.